Welcome to City Reach Cumberland's weekly podcast. We hope this message blesses you. For more information about us, you can check us out on the web at cityreachcumberland.com. Thank you, team. Great job today, as always. Jordan, you got any prophetic words for us today? Not, not nothing prophetic. All right. What is it? Antonio oh yeah, that is uh, Antonio Banderas. Let's give it up. Guest uh, guest guitarist Antonio today. Let's see. Anybody leave a uh, lemon splash up here? I'm gonna set it down here so I don't drink the wrong one. Because then we'll have to quote Mark 16 that says, "If you drink any deadly thing, it shall not harm you." Right? You might have to raise me from the dead. Hey, well, a couple weeks ago, uh, whoever's on sound, if we could adjust the sound, it just sounds like I'm on like the, the mic that the singers use, a uh, little, little reverb, or whatever that's called. It's like, hello, 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 and some lights. Well, a couple weeks ago, we started a series called Understanding the New You, and it, it, we start, I started two weeks ago. Pastor Jay uh, picked up last week. And pointed out, uh, had a couple things. Uh, it was a great message, and I had somebody say that they were going to call me because they had their toes all stepped on. It, it took uh, it took all week for it to wear off. They told me, so good job. So understanding the new you today, I want to uh, cover um, the aspect of one, O N E, one, not W O N, O N E, one. Understanding the new you, and one, and. The Apostle Paul says in uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 31 and 32, he makes this statement. He says that it's written, he's quoting from Genesis, he says that a man shall leave his wife. No, I didn't say that. I was just seeing if you guys were awake. Did anybody catch that? He doesn't say a man shall leave his wife. Somebody caught it. It says, a man shall leave his father and mother, shall be joined unto his wife, and the two shall become what? One. Two become one. Paul goes on to say, he says, this is a great mystery. He said, it's a great mystery, but the mystery is this. It's an illustration of Christ and the church being one. So what you have to understand about mystery, whenever we, we think of mystery, uh, we, we might think of a mystery novel or a mystery movie, and there's always these pieces that are hidden. And, and the purpose of mystery, at least in our world, mystery is to keep things hidden from you. But when God hides something, he hides it for us. And he hides it for us so that we can find it. So a lot of the things the Apostle Paul wrote about, he received directly from Revelation from Jesus. And, and he wrote a lot of these things. And this, he says it's a mystery because it's not something you can, you can really see or understand, but today I'd like to bring, hopefully, some, some understanding to it. So last, uh, two weeks ago when we started out, we started in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So how many married people do we have? Because if you're not married, you may not even understand this at all. A couple married, uh, about half. How many, okay, how many have been married? All right. So a lot of times when we think of marriage and two becoming one, and we think about it in terms of marriage today, 
It may not even translate because marriages today, obviously a lot end in what? Divorce. Half of the, over half marriages, and I think 70 or 80% of second marriages end in divorce. I want to tell you this, Jesus is not into divorce. That when he marries you, he marries you for eternity. He doesn't marry you to divorce you later. Uh, a lot of marriages today start out on the wrong foot. They start out with a prenup, right? Anybody know what a prenup is? It's like, I don't really trust you enough to go all in, so I'm going to put some steps on the marriage. Jesus doesn't put any steps on this marriage. He doesn't believe in prenups. He doesn't hold anything back. Everything is available to you that you want to receive. He doesn't hold it back. He doesn't make you sign a contract. He is all in, no holds barred. And that's how he enters his covenant of marriage. See, when I first got married, I've been married now September 4th, just about two months ago. Oh, two months and a couple days. I've been married 28 years. Yeah. It's actually 56, right? 28 for me, 28 for you. But see, on that day, on that day I said I do, I didn't know what I was getting into. I had no idea. Like, they don't have school. I went to college. I just got, they don't have a college class for what it means to be a husband. It's one of those things that I went, my, all I knew is my, my marital status changed. Right? At, at 1.59 p.m., I was an S, and at 2 p.m., I was an M. Right? I went from single to married. Other than that, I had no idea. And, and so, and I will say this, in 28 years, I've learned a little bit more about what it be, means to be married and how that looks like and how two become one. But at that time, I was 23 years old. I didn't have a clue. And so what happens a lot of times is in our, our Christian walk, we hear these things that we're married to Jesus, uh, husband and wife represent Christ in the church, and we just live our entire life. You know, when, when the day I got married, what happens right after the wedding ceremony? It's like the worst part. No, before the reception. Oh, yeah, it's the, the pictures, right? Like you just, you just got to smile till you don't want to smile anymore. Right? So you go from this ceremony to the pictures, and then comes what? Anybody been married? Maybe you drank so much at your reception you forgot you had one. Can I get an amen, Alex? I'm just, he's not really good. So what happens is, is, is you go from the, from the moment you say I do to the moment you say let's party, there's about a two-hour span. But in your Christian walk, there's probably a 40, 50, 60, or 70-year span or longer because from the day you get saved until you go to that marriage supper in heaven, it's like that two-hour window between I do and let's party. And see, when Jesus comes back for his bride, he's coming back for his bride, not his girlfriend. He's not coming back for his fiance even. You, if you've accepted Jesus, you're already married. And he's coming back for his bride, but he's not coming back yet. And so it's like life, from the day you get married till the day you're gone, whether that's the rapture or death, it's like that two-hour window. And we have to take time to figure out what does that look like. And so I wanted, hopefully today, I'll be able to shed some light on what it means and the realities of being one with Jesus. Because there's probably, I'm gonna, what I'm going to do, I'm going to look at some prophecy in Ezekiel. 
I'm going to look at a parable of Jesus, and I'm going to bring it up to uh, the Apostle Paul's revelation in 1 Corinthians 6. So we're really going to put all these things together and see how they come together. And hopefully when you leave here, you'll have a little bit better understanding of what it means to be one with Jesus. So we started last week, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It says that if any man is in Christ, he is a new what? He's a new creation. It says, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And verse 18 says, and all things are of God. So he says, you're a new creation. All things are become new, and all things are of God. So that the new you is of God or is out of, birthed out of God. And so that nothing that's part of the new you is from the old you. The word kainos, or the word, that word new in Greek, it means unprecedented, it means novel, it means something that's never existed before, and the new you is something completely brand new that's never been here before. And so when we went on a little bit, and I'll just catch you up, we'll take three minutes or four minutes and just kind of catch up from two weeks ago, because when you say, well, when I look at me, I don't see me as being new, because I'm still thinking the wrong things, I'm still doing wrong things, I, I do a little right and I do a little bad, I think a little right, I think a little wrong, it doesn't seem to be new, and it certainly doesn't seem to, a lot of what I do doesn't seem to be like Jesus. So what you have to understand is that you are more than just the you that you see. You are a three-part being. Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians verse 5.23, he says, May your entire spirit, soul, and body be wholly sanctified, or be kept whole until the day of the Lord, until the Lord returns. So he tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5.23 that you're not just the you that you see, that you're a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a physical body. You guys remember this? Right? I have a... Oh, my wife got it. Curtis got it. I have a spirit. I'm sorry. Strike. You guys... Man, I'm, I'm fumbling up today. I am a spirit. All right, I got a big X. Sorry about that. I am a spirit. I have a soul. I live in a physical body. And so when we looked uh, two weeks ago about what part of me changed, we said, well, our body didn't change, at least not yet, because in 1 Corinthians 15, it says that when we either die or, or are raptured, that we'll receive a new body that'll be just like his body. Also in uh, Philemon 3.21, it says that we'll have a glorious body just like his. 1 Corinthians 13 says that when we see him face to face, that I will know to the same degree that I am known, so that my soul, which was my mind, will, and emotions, will actually be to the same degree that his is, that I'll know the same as much as he knows me. And so that those things didn't happen yet, and so we said by process of elimination that it's not your body not yet, it's not your soul not yet, but it is your spirit. And we kind of did it logically that week. Today we're going to look at it scripturally. So uh, if you said, well, that's not in the Bible, I'm going to show you scripture today to prove that it is. And, but we, and we went a little step farther. We said that your body uses five senses to, to figure out what's going on. Your smell, taste, touch, hearing, and sight. Your soul uses emotions and feelings and things like that to discern what's going on in your soul. Your spirit cannot be discerned by natural means. There's no natural way to discern what's going on in the spirit you. The only way to do that is to look in the mirror of God's Word. And as we look in the mirror of God's Word, we can see a picture of what the new me, the spirit me, the born-again me, the born-again you looks like. And so today I want to take just a few passages and look into the mirror of God's Word 
and see what it really has to say about the new you being what? One with Christ. One with Jesus. All right. So let's go ahead. I want to get started. Uh, I think we're going to go to Ezekiel chapter 36. I want to start there. We're going to look at Ezekiel. I'm, going to, I'm not going to use people for a demo today. I put some slides up because I want to give you a visual. Remember Paul said, he said, this is an illustration. So I'm going to give you some illustrations today uh, on the PowerPoint and what this looks like. So in Ezekiel, now this was a prophecy, uh, but I want you to see how it, it uh, for Israel, but I want you to see how it pertains to us in the new covenant. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new what? Spirit, where at? Within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. So first thing I just want to point out, uh, in addition to the spirit part, uh, he prophesies, I'm going to put a new heart in you. I'm going to take out your heart of stone and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. If you think of stone, a stone is what? Hard, hardened, callous. Uh, something that's fleshy, is uh, pliable, flexible, uh, it's submissive. So he says, I'm going to put a heart in you that now has the potential to be submissive to what I want to do in your life. Before you couldn't, but I'm going to put a new heart in you. And on top of that, he says, I'm going to put a new spirit. I underlined, you see, one is a little S and one's a capital S. So he says, first thing I'm going to do, I'm going to put a new spirit. We are a what? I am a spirit. The old spirit that I had was a bad spirit. It was bad. It was my old sin nature. It was the old me. And he says, I'm going to put a new spirit in you. And then on top of that, I'm going to put my spirit, capital S, within you also. So what he's saying, so I, if you think about this, you ever hear somebody say, think about in the Old Testament. Where did the Holy Spirit dwell during the Old Testament times? Okay, the temple, specifically the Holy of Holies. All right, did you ever hear God say, or people say, well, well, the Holy Spirit can't live in a dirty temple, right? Where did he dwell? He dwelled in the Holy of Holies, right? Because he's clean. He can't dwell where it's dirty. So he cannot put himself in the old you. He, because the old you is not qualified for him to dwell in. So he takes the old out, and he puts a brand new one in. And once he puts the new one in, then he puts his spirit inside of that. So just the same way that the Holy Spirit dwelt in the Holy of Holies in the Old Covenant, he now dwells inside of each and every one of us that have accepted him as our Lord and Savior. And that happens instantaneously. Takes the old out, puts the new in, puts his spirit inside of you. And see what it says? It says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. All of a sudden, once you have the Holy Spirit in you, you're actually going to be able to do the things that God wants you to do. And see, apart from the Holy Spirit, apart from His presence in your life, you can try and you might have a measure of success, but you're never going to fully experience all that God has and all that God wants for you apart from His Spirit in your life. This won't happen. And He puts a new, new Spirit in you, He puts His Spirit in you, and then he enables you through the power of the Holy Spirit to live out all those things that he wants you to do. All you got to do is receive it and believe it. Walk it out. All right, so that, that was Ezekiel's prophecy. Jesus tells us a little different story. He tells a parable in Luke chapter 5. 
also found in Mark and, and Matthew. But in Luke 5, he talks about putting new wine into what kind of wineskins? New wineskins. All right, so if you look a couple verses earlier, he talks about putting a new patch on an old piece of cloth. And he said, if you put the new on the old, the old will tear because the two aren't the same. And so I really believe that is talking about that the old covenant and the new covenant don't mix. You know, the old covenant of law, the new covenant of grace, you can't, put, you can't mix them and put them together. They just don't coincide with each other. I believe new wine uh, speaks of the Holy Spirit. The new wineskin speaks of the new you that's inside of you, the new spirit, little s, that he puts in you. So what would happen? Uh, back then, the, 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 obviously, they, they produced wine and they would use animal skins to put wine in. And when they would take this animal skin and make kind of like a, what we would call a canteen, but it was made out of, of leather, and they'd pour the wine in, and as the fermentation took place, gases would be released, and this wine skin, or this pouch made of leather, would, would expand. And once it expanded to, to its full capacity, to as far as it was gonna go, it would just become hardened into that, into that shape. And it would become, it was solid, but it was also brittle. It, it, it couldn't stretch anymore. And so if you would put new wine, if you were to produce more wine and put wine into that old wine skin that was already stretched, once that fermentation process would take place again and that new wine would begin to expand, that old wine skin would blow apart. It couldn't contain the new wine. And so he said, if you're going to put new wine, you can't put new wine in an old wine skin because it'll burst and both of them will be ruined, right? The wine skin bust, it breaks. The wine is now on the ground, it's wasted too. So what's he say? He says, no one puts new wine into old wine skins or else the new wine will burst and the wine skins will be spilled and the wine skins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into what? New wine skins and both are preserved. So think about it like this. Remember I said how God couldn't inhabit the old you? He is so powerful. When he puts his spirit in you, your old spirit would blow apart if he tried to put himself in you. The same way that old wineskin would just go. So in order for you to contain him, he has to create a new you, a new wineskin, that's able to contain the very presence of God in you. Because the old you would just go. And then what would happen? He, he'd be gone. You see, that's why in the Old Covenant, the Holy Spirit never indwelled people. He could never live inside people because Jesus hadn't made the payment yet for the new you to be purchased. The Holy Spirit in the Old Covenant would come upon somebody for a season, he'd leave. He'd come upon somebody for a season, he'd leave. And you see this coming and going. But in the, the New Covenant, he puts a new wineskin, he puts a new spirit in you, and then he pours his spirit, his wine, inside of you, and that's now on the inside. And it says both are now, what, preserved. Now the last part of that, the last verse says, No one, having drunk old wine, immediately desires the new, for he says the old's better. Here's what I can tell you. So many Christians get saved. The Holy Spirit takes up residence in them. But they spend no time figuring out what the new them is all about 
that they revert back to the old them that they're most familiar with. And you get so comfortable living the old way and doing things the way you used to before you had the spirit put in you, continue to live the old way even though the new you and, and his spirit is in you, you continue to do things the way you did because that's all you're familiar with. And so we have to dig into God's word. We've got to be students of God's word. We've got to figure out, hey, what's this all about? Next slide. The new you is better. The new is better than the old, but until you become aware of and experience the new, you'll return to what you're most familiar with, the old. All right. So let me give you a couple illustrations because, and I want to preface this, this isn't all there is. We're going to go a step farther, okay? So first slide. All right, here's the old you. Any, anybody ever hear uh, the phrase the Apostle Paul used? He says, you were dead in your sins. Now, anytime you, hear, you see the word dead or death, it means separation. Death in the Bible means separation. It can mean separation. It says uh, the body without the spirit is dead. So that when you die, your spirit leaves, your body dies. So the separation between the two brings death. Death is all, spiritual separation is just you, your consciousness, being separated from God, right? So you're born, it says that, that because Adam sinned, all died, and death, all sinned, and death passed upon all men. So that you were born in a state of separation. God's here, you're here. And that separation is actually spiritual death. So the old you is made a, a tripart being, your spirit, soul, and body on the left. And we have God, who's a, a superior trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit on the right. And I put those in two different colors to represent green is good, right? Blue is blue's okay. I like blue. But, but we'll just say blue is bad. Green's good, blue's bad. And so you can see all three parts of you are blue because you have an old sin nature. You have the old you inside of you affecting the other parts of you. And you have, Jesus, or you have the, the, the Trinity on the right, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all equal, all the same, identical to each other. And so you're born in this. But when you get saved, next slide, what happens? He replaces, he gets rid of the old spirit in you, and he puts a new spirit in you, little s. I didn't put a little s up there. And then what else does he put inside your new spirit? The Holy Spirit. So now I have on the right... Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all green, and now my soul and my body and my spirit, which is the real me, is now just like the one that created me. All things are become new, and all things are of or out of God. But that's not all there is. That's why I have that's the new you, sort of. Because the two become one. Does it look like two became one yet? We have two became similar, but that's not a marriage. Two become one. All right, let's go to the next slide. All right, so here's 1 Corinthians. Here's what, here's what Paul has to say about it. He says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? So he's writing to the Corinthian church. They, they were living like hell. They, they were doing all kinds of bad stuff, gifted in the spirit, but spiritually immature, living, living really bad. And so he asked this question, so either they're just, they're just idiots, like it's kind of like a redundant question, or they're just out of ignorance. They don't care or they just don't want it. But he says, 
Don't you know that your bodies are members of Christ? That you've become a believer and now everything about you, your body, your very body, is part of Christ's body. It's a member of his body. Then he says, shall I take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? So what he's saying, he's actually asking a rhetorical question, very similar to, to if you read Romans chapter 6, where Paul talks about how grace, great grace is. And he says, what shall we go out and sin so grace can abound? He says, God forbid, absolutely not. It's true, but grace is going to cause you to not sin. It's not going to give you a reason to go out and sin. And so he's asking a redundant question, but that doesn't make it not true. So what he's saying here, he's saying, hey, your, your body is a member of Christ, and when you go out and live in sexual sin, you're actually making your body part of a prostitute or a harlot. And so even in the midst of this warning, there's even, uh, I find it, uh, an affirmation of his commitment to me. Because he doesn't say when you go make your body a, a member of a harlot that you cease to become part of his body. And, and, and that's, that's, a lot of people don't realize that even when you sin, you're still his. That's why James, he said in, in James chapter, I think it's four or five, he says, you adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that enmity with the world is, uh, or friendship with the world is enmity with God? And he says, do you think the scripture says in vain that the spirit who dwells in you yearns jealously? Or that even while you're living in that state of sin, the spirit that dwells in you is still yearning to have you back in fellowship and, and, and communion. Now that's definitely not an excuse to sin, but I want to open your eyes to a Jesus that loves you so much that when you realize how much love he has for you, you're not going to want to ever do that. You're not going to want to do that to your spouse, and you're not going to certainly want to do that to your Savior. But he says, shall I take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know, he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her. So he takes the same principle that applies to marriage and now applies it to sexual immorality. And, and, and let me just pause there. Because anytime you give your body to somebody else outside the context of marriage, it's like when you take two boards and you glue them together. And when you pull those boards apart after they've dried, part of this board is on this board and part of this board is on that board. And they splinter. They don't come apart clean. And when you give your body to somebody else outside of the bonds of marriage, you're leaving part of yourself with them. You're taking part of them with you. And the more times you do that, and the more times you do that, just make it harder for yourself down there. That's not God's best. But he takes this same point of, of, of a husband and wife, the two become what? One. So he says, do you not know, he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her, for two, he says, shall become one. But he who is joined to the Lord is one what? Spirit with him. I want to come back to that verse in a minute. Let's go on to the next slide. Verse 18 says, flee sexual immorality, every sin that a man does outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is where? In you. So even when you mess up, although we don't want you to mess up, he is still in you. 
and he's in you. He doesn't believe in divorce, and he doesn't believe in prenup. Whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which belong to who? See, when God purchased you, he bought all of you. And if you think about this in terms of spirit, soul, and body, all three parts have been purchased by his blood. But only the spirit part of you has been redeemed. The other two parts get redeemed when you either pass away or go on, or he raptures you and takes you with him. So it's like this. Anybody, do you guys remember when Sears used to be open? Anybody ever, did you ever go buy a washer and dryer at Sears? All right, so when you used to go to Sears at the mall, let's just say I wanted to buy a toaster and I was going to buy a washer and dryer, I'd pay for them, and what would they give me? A receipt, and I would, which one of the three would I take with me? I'd take the toaster. If it, if it, if it was, uh, who here's kind of got lots of muscle? Anybody, who? Hunter, yeah. Now, if it was Hunter, he'd, pro he'd probably take the washer and the dryer, one on each side, right? But me, I'm taking the toaster. And so, but all three are what? Paid for, but only one has been redeemed. And until I go back with the slip and get the other two and take them with me, that's exactly what happens in the spirit realm. God's paid for all three parts of you, but the, the spirit part of you is the only one that's been eternally redeemed already. The other two will be when he comes back. That's why when it says, it says in Ephesians, it says that we're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise until the day of redemption. So when he comes back to redeem the rest, he puts the Holy Spirit inside of me to put a deposit on me to let me know he's coming back to get the rest of me. Good. All right, here's what, here's what God spoke to me this morning. You guys ready for this? Next slide. You are the permanent residence of the Holy Spirit, not as Verbo or as Airbnb. That's what God said to me this morning. He goes, I don't rent you out. I don't vacation in you. I don't, I don't use you for a second home. You are my permanent residence. You're not my vacation rental by owner, Verbo. You're not my Airbnb. You're my house. I am living in you forever. All right, so I want to show you this oneness. Let's go to this. Next slide. But he, here's verse 17. But he who is joined, this word joined means cemented. But he who is joined unto the Lord is one spirit with him. The word one in the Greek is a word one that means one at the exclusion of all others. It doesn't mean that you dance with this one for a while and dance with this one. It's one at the exclusion of all others. And so he says that whoever is cemented, whoever is glued to, whoever is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So in the natural realm, when a husband and wife get married, the two become one two become one flesh. In the spirit realm, two become one spirit. See the correlation? Two become one flesh, two become one spirit. I like the Amplify because it uses the word mingle. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is mingled. When we think of mingle, it's not like going to a, not like not like I'm mingling with a couple people, but the word 
it's not like a social gathering. The word mingle means to mix. It means to merge. It means to stir together. So that I take two components and I mix them up and merge them into one new component. So a lot of times we realize that the Holy that, that Jesus has put a new spirit in me. But now, and then he's put his spirit in me. But Paul takes it another step. It's not just the Holy Spirit living in my spirit. Those two spirits literally become one spirit. Anybody a uh, nuclear physicist in here? Do I have a nuclear physicist? Oh, Drew. You know what? Oh, let's give it up for Drew Leahy. Anybody, Drew, let's say, everybody say hi, Drew. Yeah, that's Drew. Drew, uh, Drew drove over two hours to come to church today. Drew was one of our, uh, our loved ones here at City Reach several years back, and he came to pay us a visit today. Uh, Drew, I don't believe you're a nuclear physicist, right? Okay. Uh, all right. Just, just, but may, maybe, you know, maybe you slept at a Holiday Inn last night, and maybe it all just clicked. I don't know. So I, I'm not either. But I, I, do, I did write a paper on E equals MC squared once when I was in college, but I think I copied and pasted most of it. So, uh, But there, there's two things. There's nuclear fission and nuclear fusion. So fission, real simple, nuclear fission is, is taking one atom and it's hitting it with a new, neutron and splitting it into two separate atoms, two new, two, new, uh, two new atoms. And the two atoms that are that it's split into weigh less than the, the one that it started with, and the change in mass is released in energy. Okay, got that? This is your, this is your physics class for the day. Fusion, fusion is the opposite. Fusion is taking two atoms, slamming them together, and the two become one, and the weight of the one, although it's heavier than each of the individual two, the combined weight is less than the previous two added together, and the change in weight is released in, were you listening? Energy. All right, two into one, it weighs a little bit less, the change in mass is released in energy. You guys you can pass physics. That's all there is. That's all there is to it. I like to think, and this is how my brain thinks, oh, do you know how the sun works? The sun works off of fusion. Every second, I don't know the exact, don't quote, don't fact check me on that. But I'm close. The sun uses, if you think about the sun, it's the most powerful thing we know of, at least here. It's constantly, all this fusion's going on. Bam, bam, bam. Energy's being released. The sun uses up something like 500 million, billion, trillion, I don't know, a bunch of zeros, cubic tons of energy every second. I'm going to tell you that the energy that was released when your spirit was fused with his spirit was greater than that of the sun. Because the sun was created by Jesus, and my spirit is equal to his spirit. 
and you're sitting on something greater than the power of the sun inside of you, and you're walking around with it every day and don't realize it. When his spirit and my spirit fuse together, what happens? What's released? Energy. What's the Apostle Paul say in Ephesians chapter 1? Oh, wait, let's go to the next slide. Let's watch this. All right? I, I told Seth I want him to toggle this. Okay, so that's the new you, sort of. But two have to become one. All right, next slide. Boom. Two became one. Old. Go back to the old one. Now the new, Oh, wait, the new you, sort of. Now the new you. Boom. So no longer is it my spirit and his spirit just being similar they're one. And that's what's, that's how you're connected to God. Death is what? Separation. Life. That's how you're connected to God in the spirit. That your spirit and his spirit are so intertwined. Like if, if, if there's molecules and, and neutrons and, and all those things in the spirit realm, they're all the same. Yours and his, they're one. All right, there we go. Okay, we're done. Okay, here's Ephesians 1. So in Ephesians 1, I, I, I closed last week with this prayer. It basically says, Paul's praying for the, the Ephesian church. He said that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of your calling, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and that you may know what is the, and we're going to talk about power. So this is the third thing, is where we're picking up. That you may know what is his power toward us. Listen to this, I'm going to read it Amplified. And so that you will begin to know what is the immeasurable and unlimited and surpassing greatness of his active spiritual power in us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of his mighty strength, which he produced in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in heavenly places. I'm going to take a minute. I want to read this to you. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in, hev in heavenly places, far above principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. See, when I tell you you have raising from the dead power in you, that's one aspect of it. But you also have the same power in you because it says that it's the same power that raised him from the dead and did what? And seated him at the right hand of the Father far above principality and power and dominion and might and every name that is named in this age and in the age to come. That's what was released in you when your spirit and his spirit became one. And when I tell you that the power in you is greater than the power of the Son, that's because the Son is a name and it's under his feet as much as it says anything that's named in this age or the age to come. 
But my gosh, we walk around like we're helpless. Pastor, can you pray for me? Yeah, I'd love to, but I want you to learn how to pray for yourself. Can you come lay hands on my mom? Yeah, but I'd like you to learn how to lay hands on your mom yourself. Now there's times, and I'll tell you this, that, that there's times and it's hard to pray for somebody that's close to you. And we need each other. But there comes a place in your walk with the Lord when you've got to raise up to the next level. You've got to become spiritually mature where you learn how to walk in the authority and the power that you've been given. See, when we get to verses like 1 John chapter 4, verse 17 that says this. Next slide. It says, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, that as he is, so are we in this world. See, if I don't understand spirit, soul, and body, I look at me and I'm like, I don't look like Jesus. See, it doesn't say that we will be like Jesus. It says that you are like Jesus right now as he is. Not as he was when he was on the earth, but as he is right now. Where's he at right now? Seated at the right hand of the Father, above all principality, above all power, above all might, above all dominion, above everything that is named in this age or in the age to come. As he is, so are we in this world. Now, we think in terms of stewardship, in terms of time, talent, treasure, you hear that? What about stewardship of the Holy Spirit? What about stewarding what's been placed in you? See, God wants to do the miraculous. We go walking around, and we're carrying the power that created the universe. But you got to be a student of the Word. You got to be. You got to be that 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 heart that's surrendered that says, "I want all that you have for me." I'm going to close with the last verse, John chapter 15. Jesus says, "I'm the vine; you're the branches." Now, I ripped down a vine yesterday at my house. What was the thing called? Wisteria. Anybody ever see a wisteria vine? And my wife, she, she put this thing in the stone. And then as it grows, it, it just grabs claws. So th th and then she has this bright idea that we're going to burn the wisteria once we pull it down. It, yeah, it did. It worked. Anybody ever see me make a fire? A couple, yeah. All right. So, so when I build a fire, I'm very meticulous. I, 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 I do the little Boy Scout, lay it. Well, Kristen, she just throws it all in there, throws some paper on it, and I had to actually help it out a little bit, but all in all, it wasn't bad. We, we burnt this vine. You did it. You did it. It got done. But we're pulling that vine down, and, and, and when you have a vine like that, the vine and the branch just kind of becomes all one. You know, you... you it just kind of, you don't know where the branch starts and the, the vine ends. 
And that's your relationship with Jesus. You're so intertwined with him. And he says, I'm the vine. You're the branches. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. But here's the great thing. You're never apart from him. You're never apart from him. Because he lives in you through his Holy Spirit. Apart from Jesus, we can't do anything, but we're never apart from him because we're what? One. Did you guys learn anything today? Physics. Learn some physics today. All right, let's stand up. I want to pray for you. As we do every week, I want to give you the opportunity that if you don't know Jesus, there's no better time than right now. Because you still might be living to where you're two. And you need to become one. See, if you're living apart from Jesus, if you're living separated from God, if you're living apart from his life, you're dead. You might be alive, but you're dead. And the only way you can receive eternal life is to come in union with him. Do that just by saying, I believe that you died for me. I believe you rose again from the dead, and I receive you into my heart. So let's just bow our head. And if, if you're here today, if that's you, if you don't know Jesus, if you don't have the Holy Spirit living in you, I just want you to just slip up your hand. I just want to pray with you today. I want to help you through that. Is there anybody? Don't want to leave before we make sure that you walk out of this building and you know for certain that you're one with Jesus. I don't see any hands. If you're online and you want to receive Jesus, just say, Jesus, I acknowledge that, that I'm apart from you. And I acknowledge that you paid my sin debt so that we could be one. And I receive you as my Savior. Father, I just pray right now for everybody here today. Lord, I ask that you would open the eyes of each person's heart. Lord, because I can't do it. I can teach your word. I can give scripture. But you're the one that breathes life into so, Father, I pray that you would give enlightenment to the eyes of our hearts. I pray that spirit of wisdom, I pray the spirit of revelation in the knowledge of you. Father, that as we study, as we dig, that you would, you would open our eyes to the depths of what you have laid away for us, Lord, that you've hidden it for us. Father, I pray that this church would be a powerhouse in this community, Father. That we'd not only acknowledge the power that's in us, but we would release it into every situation that we walk into. Father, I pray over marriages today. Lord, I pray for those that, that are struggling through things right now. Remind them that they're one with each other. They're one with you. 
pray that you'd bring reconciliation in that situation. I pray for bodies that are hurting, that need healing. Lord, I pray, pray healing grace even now. Lord, dismiss us with your blessing today. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name.